Listen, strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how I thought Uh, it could have been anything else. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Welcome to the Your Pick Movie Podcast. I'm Tatum. I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. Today on the show, we will be discussing the film Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Released in 1975, The Holy Grail is a hilarious movie created by the British comedy group Monty Python, made up of the members Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. They all wrote the screenplay together. However, the movie was directed by Terry Jones and Terry Gilliam. Monty Python first became famous with their sketch comedy show, Monty Python's Flying Circus, which aired on the BBC from 1969 to 1974. It was hugely popular in the UK and then was highly regarded when it arrived in the US in 1974. Monty Python and the Holy Grail was their first of three feature films. It was filmed on location in Scotland with a budget of only $400,000. And believe it or not, some of that money actually came from the bands Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. So uh, before I invite Geneva to come in and kind of share some of her thoughts, I just wanted to give you all a short summary of the film. Um Last week, Geneva expressed her difficulty in (laughs) creating a summary for Inception because the movie is large, long, sprawling, and has a lot of different philosophical uh, concepts. This movie, I would argue, is even harder to write a summary for because it kind of doesn't really have any sort of plot. So (laughs) bear with me as we go through this. But um, here is the summary that I attempted to write. The medieval Arthur, King of the Britons, journeys with a group of knights until they encounter a lord in the sky who tells them to seek the Holy Grail. The quest proves to be unsuccessful, however, as they are all eventually arrested by police officers for killing the film's narrator, who also happens to be wearing a bow tie. So, uh, since the film today was chosen by me, I think it goes without saying that I have a meaningful relationship with it. But before we get into that, Geneva, I would love to hear your overall thoughts. And after watching it, uh, what is your relationship to this movie? So, I had this was my second time watching this movie. Um, it it wasn't. It's not kind of one of the like my family watches a lot of comedies but for whatever reason this was never one of them um so I had seen it before um not it didn't make much of an impression on me the first time that I watched it I don't know what it was about the mood I was in or maybe I was kind of thinking about other things but I'm happy to report I watched it last (laughs) the other night and absolutely loved it it is so funny (laughs) as a big old you know medieval history medieval literature king arthur nerd um you know i i went on this long deep dive wikipedia deep dive afterward about monty python and all the members and all the the actual 
you know, stories of King Arthur, um, the individual knights and the relationships between those in the movie. Uh, Terry Jones, uh, you probably know this, but Terry Jones, um, you know, the member of Monty Python and co-director of the movie is a medieval historian. Uh, he went to, I think, Oxford. Uh, most of Monty Python wanted to either Oxford or Cambridge, but he's written books on the Middle Ages. He's a very, very knowledgeable about it. And it's just so apparent that it's made by a group of sort of nerds <laughs> who are absurdist comedy, you know, geniuses and just have so much love and also desire to kind of skew that time period, but also in a way that says so much about our own time period and, and the, the things that make us human across um, times and places. Um, There's so many just little references. I love the Terry Gilliam's uh, animation, the way he incorporates sort of original or, or ma manufactured to look original medieval drawings and, you know, does all these really fun, cheeky things with them, which is honestly very true to, <laughs> to a lot of medieval art. So yeah, I, I love this movie. So first of all, Geneva, I am so happy <laughs> that you love this movie. I genuinely was nervous because I knew that you hadn't seen it in a while and it hadn't really stuck in your mind very much. Um, so yes, I am absolutely ecstatic to hear that you love this movie because I thought you would, but I'm never sure. So yeah. Um, and I also wanted to throw this out there. I don't know if you saw this in your research, but did you know that John Cleese, he actually left Monty Python after I think it was the first three seasons, maybe it was two of the Flying Circus because he was like, I don't feel like we're doing anything original anymore. We're just doing the same things. But then when he saw that they were developing Monty Python and the Holy Grail, he was like, oh, okay, this is something that I can actually get behind because we're doing something new and that and innovative. And that's what I want to be a part of. So I just thought of, thought of that as you were talking about kind of just the the history of the film and, and people just kind of their focus within the movie itself and, and their own personal specialties and how that all ties in. So yeah, I think it's very clear, not just for the audience, but also for the cast members and the people in it that like this is something special and it's something unique. Um, and we all need to, in my opinion, pay attention to it because it's super funny. Although I know very, it's not everyone's humor. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's very modern too. Like the way it struck me was just, I mean, it's one of those things where a lot of the quirks about the editing or joke rhythms and things like that, you're like, oh, I, I've seen this so many times. Is this the inception of these things? And it probably is. You know, a lot of um, a lot of the gags also reminded me of. I mean, I grew up on um, like Airplane and the Zucker Brothers comedies. You know, like Naked Gun and um, uh, you know, just like spoof movies, things like that, where it's all there's it's all verbal gags and visual gags, and they're very quick. And there's just every screen, every frame of the screen is stuffed with something funny going on you know and the, the movie felt very much like it and I was I was wondering how influential it had been um on yeah just comedy you know comedy as a whole yeah I actually uh find it interesting that you said that because I was doing some research for this and seeing how this kind of the whole concept of Monty Python and what they do and what they did even before the Monty Python and the Holy Grail movie came out is they did sketch comedy 
and it wasn't really a normal thing back then, at least in the Western world. I don't really know about other places. But so when you think about kind of just the legacy of Monty Python, just the comedy group as a whole, you can wonder, you know, would would we have SNL if this had never existed? Would we have had Mad TV or In Living Color or things like that? Um, and I think yeah, just the legacy of this comedy, we we see it today, like you were saying. So, yeah. Well, to be fair, sketch comedy did precede Monty Python. I mean, you had stars hosting their own variety hours um, on television in a lot of the the 60s and the 70s. Um, I, it probably just didn't take quite the same form or have the same sort of style of humor. That's sort of very absurdist, um, surreal um, you know, anti, anti-humor tendencies that Monty Python had, like, applied to the sketch comedy format. Like, it was, it was so revolutionary for its time. And I think, I mean, I I don't know. <laughs> you know, I obviously wasn't alive at that time, but I, it probably was, uh, the, the sort of Britishness of it was really, um, you know, something that a lot of America had never seen before. Like, it was, it was, you know, introducing these new sensibilities into a, um, a a more worldwide context. Yeah. Um, okay. So just moving forward, like I said before, Geneva, I'm super happy that you love this film and just to kind of go into a little bit of my relationship with it. Uh, I don't remember exactly how old I was when I watched it for the first time, but I know specifically I was at a sleepover with one of my neighbors and her and her family loved this movie. And she introduced it to us. I think it was three of us at this sleepover. And we were all watching it. And I just remember from the very beginning with the moose and the llamas, I was just like, I mean, I was side splitting laughing. It was just so funny. And, you know, I'll, I'll get into this as time goes on. But there are certain sequences in this movie that, I mean, they made me laugh so hard and they still do um but yeah and so ever since then which gosh I don't know that was maybe 15 years ago if not more than that um it's always held a special place in my heart and it's definitely not just for me but I think also for most people that have seen it and enjoyed it around the world it's one of the most quotable movies ever I quote this movie all the time. And unlike when I quote SpongeBob and people don't always get it, when I quote Monty Python and the Holy Grail, almost always people know what I'm referencing, referencing, no matter how obscure or brief or quick the quote is, people get it. And I mean, there's so many, like I've used, God be praised, a blessing from the Lord. I've used None shall pass. I've used, it's just a flesh. I've used, I've fart in your general direction. I've, that like, was a really big one for my cousins growing up. They would <laughs> quote that one all the time. Your mother was a hamster. <laughs> your father smelt of elderberries. Yeah, I mean, it's just top to bottom. It's full of quotes. And I think that's part of what makes this, movie's, this movie so much fun. Um, because even when the movie's over, you can continue to enjoy it in your day-to-day life and make yourself laugh and make other people laugh just by thinking of certain little things and expressing them to others. So, And that um, sort of episodic, you know, 
coming out of the sketch comedy format, it makes it so easy to just kind of lift a whole scene out of it and just rewatch that one scene over and over again. I mean, obviously YouTube didn't <laughs> exist until the, <laughs> until the 21st century, but um, you know, it's, it's a movie that was made for YouTube. It's, it's made so that you could just take a scene and really just, you know, dive into it and absorb it and watch it over and over again. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, okay, so I think it seems about a good time for us to dive into the actual plot question mark <laughs> of this movie. Um, so I've tried my best to kind of summarize what happens bit by bit. So in each portion, I'll kind of do, I'll go through maybe three or four sketches, for lack of a better word, and then we can talk about them and then move on to the next section. So here we go. Um the film opens with a credit sequence. However, it is not your typical credit sequence because there are subtitles. The subtitles involve lots of moose and llama related things. Because the subtitles are incorrect and completely unrelated to the actual crew members, many people responsible for said errors are sacked. <laughs> After this sequence ends, in a medieval time period, we are introduced to Arthur, King of the Britons. He and his trusty steward, Patsy, reach a castle where they proceed to have a heated discussion about the physics of swallows being able to carry co coconuts. When this conversation does not appear to be approaching any type of conclusion, Arthur and Patsy continue on their way. This leads them to a, to a town seemingly taken over by some type of virus that requires people to bring out their dead and place them onto a cart. After Arthur passes through this town, he stumbles upon some peasants moving piles of filth on the ground he introduces himself to them as their king to which they respond with confusion and some anger an argument about the philosophy of politics and power is had until king arthur insists that the man shut up so that's our first uh couple sequences there geneva do you have any uh anything to say so so many things <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to start with, I mean, we talk about the humor being influential. I I grew up watching Wayne's World. That was a big movie in my household. And the, the whole sequence with the subtitles made me think of something straight out of Wayne's World. Um, it is, it's just, and I had completely forgotten about it. You know, I started watching and I was like, wait, did I turn, the, did I turn on the right movie? <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, and it makes me think too of um, one of the gags later in the movie was just this subtle thing where there's a hand turning a, a um the pages of a book and then this like the gorilla, giant gorilla hand or <laughs> like yeti hand just like <laughs> snatches it away and then later the yeti hand is the one turning the page and it's just so you know it's not commented on at all it's just you know it, there, there's no purpose for it there's nothing there's nothing larger that it's contributing to it's just there and it's hilarious um i love the fact that this movie starts with several it's several skits um sort of several scenes before we meet any of the knights and it's just arthur kind of riding around getting the lay of his land and you know setting up this sort of contrast between the the brutal sort of dirty shit filled <laughs> muddy <laughs> world of the peasants where i love the fact that every time you see a peasant they're just like moving piles of mud around or like they you know, call it filth yes it's, there's some lovely filth down here oh, we love just burying in the filth or just like you know burying their head in a random basket like they're just doing nothing. 
<laughs> or hitting the grass with sticks for no reason for no at all. Reason. <laughs> it's just the the absolutely absurd pointlessness of this existence and the, you know, the brute the humor and the brutality of just like, you know, oh yeah, people are just dropping dead every day. So we just have like, you know, we have a collection to take out the dead people like we have the garbage. It'll be stone cold dead in a moment. Yeah. <laughs> this movie, even though they're very, they're very different and entirely unrelated, but this movie does remind me a bit of 30 Rock in the sense that um, there's some people that don't like 30 Rock and that's fine. But 30 Rock is a type of show where there are so many jokes in so little time that if you blink or you're not paying attention, you'll miss one of them. And I find that this movie is the same thing. There are so many jokes that if you look away for two seconds, you're going to miss something. That's hilarious. And that's one of the things I love about this movie. It's just nonstop fun, nonstop from beginning to end. I, I actually thought of 30 Rock later in the, the movie when you have that, they get to Camelot and there's that sequence of all the knights singing and dancing. And then there's that quick cutaway to the prisoner uh, in, like hanging by oh, his, clapping hand his hands and he's like <laughs> dancing along. And it's so quick and it's very 30 Rock, you know, just this quick, quick yeah. cutaway gag that is so funny. Yeah, I... Yes. And going back to just the opening part of the of the subtitles, I mean, I didn't do research on this. Maybe I should have. But I've always wondered, the opening subtitles, is that actually a language? Because I don't think that it is. Like the <laughs> whole the whole wick or Swedish and then just devolves into English, but let's throw in an extra Y and some of those O's with yeah. the through. Yeah. Or the yeah. And then and I just, I, I mean, I wish I could read all of the subtitles. Obviously, I won't do that. But one of my favorite ones is like, let's go to Sweden and witness the wonderful telephone system. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because that's why everyone wants to go to Sweden. I mean, maybe at that time, but it's it's just so ridiculous. And a fun fact about me. So I went on a trip to to Canada a few years ago. And the whole time I was there, I was like, I have to see a moose. I want to see a moose. I've always wanted to see a moose because they're so big and they're so majestic and all of these things. And I realized while watching this, I was I was just thinking, has my obsession for moose come from come from this movie? <laughs> I don't know. But it was just a thought that occurred to me. I mean, probably not. But I mean, they just talk about moose so much in the beginning. It just it just made me think of that and just how many different roles they came up with of someone who does antler care for the moose and someone who does stunts for the moose <laughs> like you know it's just it's absolutely insane right off the bat it's you just you just sit back and you just think what am I watching you know um and it just throws you in right away it, like right away and I love that. It's no holds barred. You're either in or you're out. Are you in? And for me, I just say, yes, I'm in. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I will say, too, the, um, the, the scene with the, um, the, the peasants debating the merits of uh, constitutional de or uh, democratic uh, procedure versus absolutism, absolutist modern <laughs> monarchy, it's probably the scene that I have rewatched the most over the years. Mm -hmm. Um it is it's so funny because it's just i mean it's you, you can't it's hard to dissect humor and make it still funny but it's just it's so absurd 
but it also has these really interesting, cogent political points. But it's also just stupid. You know, it's just this great blend of all of these things. You know, these incredibly radicalized, uh, well-spoken peasants just wallowing in filth. (laughs) (laughs) And King Arthur is just so confused about the fact that anyone would not accept and want him to be king, you know. Well, can I just say that one thought I had while watching this was, we all know that person, right? Where they get they get going about something political, and they're just so into it. And all you want to say to them is, yes, yes, I see. Be quiet. Shut up. Will you shut up? And I feel like we all have someone like that in our lives. And... <laughs> especially nowadays and it just it it was so funny to me and um yeah that whole scene is so great which is why I chose that one quote to be the opening quote for this podcast because yeah it's just so good and I love how you know like I said before this movie just jumps right in and it really lets you know right away that this movie is just gonna, <laughs> gonna be so stupid but in the best way I mean that with the highest praise but you know, the first sketch or sequence out of the credits is them talking to someone like the first of all, the fact that you see someone banging coconuts together to make the sound of horses hoofs is already funny in and of itself. But then the fact that they approach a castle and someone calls them out about it. It's not just this funny joke where it's like, oh, everyone in this world, these are just horses to them. No, even the people in this world are like, why are you using coconut? Like, you're just using coconuts and banging them together. It's like, you know, I just, that whole conversation is so stupid, but so clever because African swallows and European swallows and a five ounce bird can't carry a 12 ounce coconut. And like, the fact that just... that comes back then at the end and uh, resolves yes. the problem. I don't know if you noticed this, Geneva, but at some point during the movie, I don't remember where it is, but they show a clip of someone testing it out to see if it'll actually work. I don't remember at what point that happens, but oh, someone has a swallow this. with a coconut tied to it and they release it and then you and the bird just like flaps its wings and you never see if it actually like is able to take it anywhere. But they do come back to it in that at that moment, too. That's yeah. Amazing. Ugh, so good. Um, OK, so continuing on, um, as the story continues, Arthur and Patsy enter a forest where they're introduced to the Black Knight. The Black Knight appears to be a skilled fighter as he defeats an unknown foe. Impressed, Arthur approaches the knight and asks him to join him on his way to Camelot. The Black Knight refuses, which makes King Arthur sad. (laughs) When Arthur tries to move on, the Black Knight insists that none shall pass. The two then enter into a sword fight, which Arthur wins by cutting off the Black Knight's arms and legs one by one, because the Black Knight insists that he can continue to fight even after each limb is removed. Having won the fight, Arthur continues on until he comes to yet another town where a mob asks a man named Sir Bedivere if they can burn a witch. They have a lengthy discussion in order to determine if she is indeed a witch and therefore justified to be burned. Through how he leads the mob through this inquiry, Arthur is impressed and convinces Sir Bedivere to join him on his journey to Camelot. Next, we're introduced through a picture book to the rest of the group members that will join Arthur on his journey. 
This is then followed by the Knights of the Round Table introducing themselves through song. As the crew is now complete, a lord appears before them in the sky and reveals that Arthur's purpose in life is to seek a holy grail. Then we see an animation of the movie's title. So, yeah, coming from that, Geneva, do you, was there anything in those sequences that really uh, that really stuck out to you or that you particularly enjoyed? I mean, so much. Like the the Black Knight saying, it's just a scratch while both his arms have got... I mean, that's just an all-time classic. <laughs> you know, you can pull that out and reuse it in so many different situations. Um, uh, it's just great. Um, I was very... I had not remembered um, the the she the witch burn the witch sequence and i thought that was hilarious <laughs> the way arthur is so impressed by bedivere's wisdom and his knowledge of science and you know he's he's applying this logic but it's all completely absurd logic you know oh she <laughs> you know witches burn wood burns so a witch must be made of wood and a wood floats and a duck also floats so she weighs as much as a duck and then at the as the chapter <laughs> to the sequence you know, they she they weigh the woman. She somehow weighs the same as a duck. They're like, she's a witch. And she's like, yep, fair play. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. She's like, yep, you go. Yep, it's, it's fine. <laughs> That's the way I, the system works. The thing that I really love about that sequence, I mean, all of it is so great. Like every single, because you watch it and you just think, how much further can they take this gag? And then they keep going of, it's not my nose, it's a false one. They dressed me up like this. Did you dress her up? No. Well, yes. Yes, we did. Well, it's like <laughs> they just up the ante John every Cleese, single time. The moment where John Cleese is like, she turned me into a newt. They're like, did they? Did she? I got and better. he's like, well, I got better. <laughs> I was just absolutely I mean, that's, on the floor. <laughs> that is my favorite part of that sequence. Seeing Bedivere interact with the peasants. The peasants are like, they're trying so hard to just burn this witch, but they're all just completely clueless. And my favorite, I mean, this could possibly be my favorite line in the whole movie. I don't know, but it's so short. Maybe it just it's just my humor. But when Bedivere asks what floats in water and they're naming all these different things, and then John Cleese's character goes, uh, very small rocks. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> very small rocks do not float in water but that is like his best guess very small rocks and then like ending with that makes the contrast of jumping from that to king arthur being like a duck and everyone's like whoa it's like that's actually also kind of a stupid answer but i guess in this context it's not so yeah i just i i love i love that whole that whole sequence just makes me laugh super hard. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you have throughout this movie is just again and again, it's these people who are sort of trapped in the system and trapped in these roles that, um, you know, the the form of the King Arthur legend tells them that they have to take or the form of the the medieval feudal system tells them they have to, to take. And they're just pointing out the absurdity of it, but they're also subservient to it and they also just accept it and it's just such a universalizing i think idea of you know what if the science that we 
some of the science that we are saying today sounds as absolutely absurd and ridiculous as what <laughs> Sir Bedivere is saying and, you know, is being canonized for, <laughs> not canonized, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. One it's just the... such a, you know, you, you see so much of, so much of modern day absurdity can be, you know, parodied through these sort of uh, medieval tropes. Yeah. And one of the other quotes that I wrote down from that section, which just further shows how nonsensical this this back and forth conversation is. But when when Bedivere asks, so how can we find out if she's made of wood? And the guy goes, build a bridge out of her. And then <laughs> Bedivere's response is, oh, but can bridges not also be built out of stone? As if that makes the answer like... <laughs> It's As like if, he's like, a it teacher. Made, he's like, it would have, yeah. It's like it. The logic of that is, it would have made sense to use that logic to determine if she was a witch. If bridges were not also built out of stone, if bridges were only built out of wood, that would have worked. That mm -hmm. logic would have tracked. <laughs> so it's just like, what is going on? Oh gosh, so good. Um, so going back actually a little bit to, uh, to the Black Knight, because I feel like we have not talked enough about that absolutely. whole section because it's absolutely epic. I feel like everyone knows this sequence in some way, shape or form, even if they haven't seen the movie. Mm -hmm. Can I say um, too, it's a legitimately, but, yeah, it's a legitimately pretty good sword fight that they're having prior to him <laughs> lopping off the ball of the Black Knight's <laughs> limbs. Like considering the fact that their budget was so small. Like, this, this is pretty good, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I feel like it's kind of supposed to be a joke because they're like, hee-yah, hee-yah, hee-yah. I feel like it, for me, it reminds me a little bit of The Princess Bride because in that movie, a lot of the fighting choreography is like a joke because it could have been so much better, but they're intentionally like uh, making excuse it you, The super... Princess Bride's choreography is the the greatest sword fight ever filmed but go on <laughs> i mean i mean for its purpose yes yes but also i feel like this i mean it's super fun but also it just makes me laugh because all of the sounds and just everything are so funny um but so i think one other thing i wanted to touch on is um the fact that I just wanted to make sure we don't skip over this before we get to the actual part of Bedivere talking to the um, the the peasants about burning the woman as a witch. We cannot forget about the people who maybe look like monks walking through the street, <laughs> hitting their heads with pieces of wood. I, um, or possibly Bibles. I couldn't quite tell. But yes. No, it's it's wood. They're oh, they're it? like slabs of wood. Yeah, it's completely unnecessary, uh, but it, that's what makes it necessary because we have to have it because it's super funny and ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it's it takes so. that idea of self-flagellation to another level. Totally. Um, okay, so yeah, after this part, after we see the animation of the movie title, we continue on. So... As we move forward in the story, Arthur and the gang reach a castle inhabited by some Frenchmen who claim that they already have a grill. When Arthur insists that they allow them to enter and see the grill, the French refuse and force them away by launching animals over the walls. 
The gang, following the brilliant mind of Sir Bedivere, build a large wooden rabbit that they can hide inside of in the hopes that when the French take the rabbit into the castle, some of them can jump out and pursue the grail. However, this plan fails when it is revealed that no one has actually hidden inside the rabbit. Uh, we, we then cut to the film's narrator dressed in wardrobe clearly from the modern day. However, after talking for only a short time, a knight rushes by and cuts his throat, killing him. The film then reveals that the gang has split up. So first, we find ourselves following Sir Robin. Along his path, he bumps into a three-headed man who then decides whether or not to kill him. While they argue over that, among other things, Sir Robin escapes. Next, we cut to Sir Galahad, who is caught outside in a treacherous storm. Eventually, he stumbles upon a castle and goes inside to seek refuge where he encounters some innocent temptresses. To his dismay, before he is able to really engage with the women, he is pulled away by Sir Lancelot. So, that's another pretty big chunk there. Uh, any comments, Geneva? <laughs> I mean... I feel like each time it's any thoughts, then you're like so many (laughs) every time. (laughs) It's hard because it's hard to be to not just continually be like, well, this was funny and this was funny and this (laughs) because it's all funny. I mean, the Trojan horse, that's a rabbit foreshadowing the killer rabbit in the last, uh, you know, toward the end. Um, But they forgot to (laughs) inside it. That was great. (laughs) Yep. the I got a real kick out of the uh, troubadour who is making up songs about Sir Robin and how he's uh, such a coward and he keeps fleeing and Robin is very distressed by this. First, the songs were about how brave he is, and then later it switches to how uh, to how much of a, a coward he is. But initially, it's like nothing will ever stop him, whether they break his legs or break his bones or <laughs> grind his teeth or like. <laughs> So first, it's about how brave it's so he is. good, <laughs> and it's just so witty too. Like it's such a well written, it's such a well written song with the the rhymings, the rhymes, and the all of the, the use of um, just all these different synonyms for like <laughs> the fact that he fled. <laughs> Robin's like, no, I didn't. Did you notice that he has a big chicken on his shield? <laughs> Yes. I was trying so to good. figure out, is that a Robin or is that a chicken? It's, yeah, it's definitely a chicken. <laughs> definitely a chicken. <laughs> uh. I also, I don't know how you felt about it, but I found the um, Sir Galahad gets trapped in a castle for, full of horny virgins. Uh, absolutely hilarious. Uh. <laughs> or just a bunch of... Uh, what is it? Sixteen between the ages of sixteen and nineteen, 19 and, and a half, half. <laughs> all alone in here. <laughs> when the when she's like, "Oh, you need medical attention. I'll call the doctors." And these two like teenage girls come in. And he's like, "They're doctors," and she's like, "Well, they have some medical training." Which <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yep, it's just a bunch of people. Oh my with goodness! And the fact uh... that he's like, you know. Up until while he still thinks the grail is in the castle, he's like, no, 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 I, I must avoid temptation. Please get me out of here. Get me out of here. And then he finds out it's not actually the grail. And he's like, oh, well, actually, maybe I can stay. <laughs> and then, of course, Lancelot shows up at just the wrong time or the right time, depending yep. on how you look at it. But this is, of course, um, <clears throat> possibly, you know, this um, I'm getting this off of wikipedia and also my vague memories of arthurian legend but um sir galahad in the original arthurian legends is known for being particularly p 
pure of heart and chaste. Um, you know, that's kind of his defining features as a knight. So of course, you know, playing on that. <laughs> yes. I, um, but yeah, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I just wanted to go back to uh, the, the French, the section with the Frenchman, because <laughs> that, I mean, so much happens there. And like, I mean, again, just the mind of Sir Bedivere is an interesting place to be because in this world, he has so much wisdom. But to me, I'm like, dude, you crazy. <laughs> like, I don't even understand. But one of my favorite lines is um, when they first approach the castle and they discover the people up top are Frenchmen. Sir Galahad goes, what are you doing in England? And they just respond, none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, what are they doing in England? I don't know. Not that French people can't go to England, but like, what what's going on? It seems like a normal secret. question. Yeah, none of your business. And then Sir Galahad just responds. He's like, "What a strange person." <laughs> I, I love, love the fact that they're they're using their catapult to fling not like you know rocks or you know tree stumps or things like that. They're flinging animals like. <laughs> cows cows there's like i think there's some like chickens as well it's like you're gonna need those to eat like (laughs) i i also really admire the way that john cleese absolutely commits to this role as the frenchman like he is going all out on this and i i love every minute of it or every second of it. It's just so, it's so good because it's not just, it's fuse, it's fusical. It's physical humor. It's the way he delivers the jokes. It's his eye, like it, everything. He's just like head to toe doing everything he can to give himself into this role. And it's so funny. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Which I, when I, I had forgotten the first time that I, from the first time that I'd seen it, that it's, all of the cast members play multiple roles, possibly excepting Graham Chapman. He might have another role, one or two here and there. Mostly he's King Arthur throughout. Um, but, you know, it's kind of doing the the Peter Sellers thing, um, you know, a few years around the time, a few years after uh, kind of the, the big Peter Sellers roles that you, um, that he's mainly known for. But um yeah, all, all of the performances are so good. It's it's kind of hard to single any of them out. But I actually, I did want to shout out Graham Chapman just because I feel like he's the um, the the member of Monty Python that I was the least familiar with um, just hmm. by name. You know, he, he very tragically died, I think, of cancer um, when he was pretty, um, still pretty young. He was only in his maybe late 40s or so. Um, but he's just, he's so good as Arthur. He's so perfect at playing this kind of um the the straight man you know the the sort of the guy who's just so convinced that he has all of the authority in the world and that he needs to do these things <laughs> and yet he's so funny <laughs> yes yeah he's he's brilliant you know just it i think it's one of those roles where it can be very easy to get lost because you're you're basically the person who's going up against all of these really absurd you know, over the top performances, but he's great. He he does. He grounds the whole thing really wonderfully. I agree. 
Um, and I also want to shout out, I mean, obviously, like you said, all the performances in this movie are great and they all have their own special moments where each of them get to shine, which I think is great. But for me on this rewatch, the one who really stood out to me was Michael Palin as Sir Galahad. I, but, but not even just as Sir Galahad, every single character that he plays in this movie, maybe it's just that his characters play more into my type of humor, but I, I just... I love every single every single character that he plays. I think that he just does such a good job at just being the person who asks questions cuz cuz you were saying how um how some people are kind of the straight man and then some people are just completely over the top silly. I feel like Michael Palin's characters they kind of fall in the middle of they're a little bit ridiculous but they're also super grounded at the same time and I love that dichotomy in the same like they happen in the same character. I mean, obviously he plays multiple characters, but I feel like each of his characters, they kind of juggle both of those dynamics, which is great. Yeah. So. Can you remind me actually, apart from Galahad, what are some of the other roles that he plays in the movie? <laughs> so he, he plays the one who reads the book before they toss the, thy holy uh, hand grenade of Antioch. Oh my God. The number three, the number three being reached. <laughs> so good toss thy holy hand grenade towards thy foe where he then shall snuff it <laughs> like i mean there's just so there's so many great ones uh but yeah and then speaking of so kind of in this sequence continuing with sir robin he plays one of the heads in the three-headed man hmm. and i just wanted to note that that costume is so great. I'm pretty sure, I mean, I didn't do any research on this, but it looks like a practical costume. Like it's actually a real thing that was built and three men are standing in it. And I think that's amazing. Like, I, I mean, it doesn't I, look I particularly it. convincing, but it's so funny. You know, it doesn't but need it to. It doesn't need to. Yeah, it's it's great. And I also wanted to shout out, which I really noticed when Sir Galahad was going through the castle and not just the castle, but also through the storm outside and everything before he reaches the castle. Even though this movie only had a $400,000 budget, they did such a good job with the money that they had. Oh I mean, goodness, yeah. the cinematography, obviously it's more indie type of looking, but they do a really good job at capturing the visuals and that whole castle inside of that sequence with all the, you know, virgin ladies in the white dresses. It feels like a real castle. I mean, the set design is is really it's really great. It's minimal, but it's convincing. And the costumes, it's pretty amazing what they did on such a small budget. Um so, yeah. Do you have uh, any other thoughts on those those sections before we move on? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, cool. So, uh, continuing on, King Arthur and Sir Bedivere meet with a white-eyed old man who shares some wisdom regarding where the grail can be found. After he disappears, the two of them continue their search in the forest until <laughs> they meet the knights who say me, who demand a shrubbery in order to allow them passage. After this, we cut to a short clip of the dead narrator from before being tended to by a woman and some police officers. Then we move on to Lancelot's solo journey. We meet a prince named Herbert in a tower who is being forced by his father to marry a woman against his will. A woman with huge tracts of land. <laughs> in an attempt to escape, Herbert sends a message asking for help out his window. 
This note finds its way to Lancelot, and he, assuming that the letter is written by a woman, immediately sets off to rescue her, or him. When Lancelot arrives, he meets Herbert's father and bonds with him. As Herbert tries to escape through the window, <laughs> Lancelot and Herbert's father cut the rope and Herbert falls. As a conclusion to this story, Lancelot makes a dramatic exit from the castle. Going back to King Arthur, he continues in his search for shrubbery in order to appease the knights who... In order to appease the knights who formerly said knee, but now say icky, 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 fatang, zaboing. <laughs> King, Arthur, <laughs> King Arthur discovers the knight's one weakness and is able to escape. So, yes, that is uh, the end of that section. I have always wanted to say that quote from the knights who formerly said knee. So uh, my life is complete now and I can die happy. <laughs> is this where um, everyone got, you know, when Prince changed his name to that uh, symbol and everyone started calling him the artist formerly known as Prince? Is that where they got that uh, phraseology from? I don't know. I feel like I should know that. I'll ask my dad. He's a Prince fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, where, where do you want to start, Geneva? <laughs> Oh my goodness. A lot happens here. A lot happens. <laughs> a lot happens. A lot happens. I, mean, I, I really had to shorten the the Lancelot Herbert part for the summary, but I mean there's so much within that part alone. That yeah, that's a really on. long sequence. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, do you want to start with the the knights who say me <laughs> in that case? Uh I, I mean, sure. Yeah, I love the knights who say, <laughs> say me. Go ahead. What do you have what do you have on them? I actually don't have a whole lot on them. I feel like that that was the one sequence. I don't know why it just it struck me a little bit less than the others. It possibly is because it's just sandwiched in between these, you know, several just absolute bangers and for whatever reason that one just kind of passes me by a little bit more. Um but then hearing you recite <laughs> <laughs> but what they changed their name to just brought it all back and made me realize I should go back and rewatch it and pay closer attention. <laughs> yeah, I find I think the Knights Who Say Knee is actually one of my like top three mm -hmm. sequences and like jokes in this movie. Um, because kind of going back to what I said before about 30 Rock, this is one of those sequences where it's not even every second, it's like every half a second there is a joke. And so one of my favorite aspects of this sequence <laughs> is not just the main guy, like the main knight who says knee, who's kind of doing most of the talking. Whenever he says anything, he's got his little his little minions behind him who just echo him. So he he says things. He's like, we are the knights who say knee. And then everyone just goes, knee, knee. <laughs> like little bat, like just little commentaries of just saying things. And especially when he comes back later, and he's like, we're the knights who so who formerly said knee. And they just go, knee. And he goes, no, 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 no. Now we're this. And then he goes, icky, 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 icky. And he says the whole thing. And then someone else goes, knee. And he's like, no, we're not knee anymore. <laughs> so like, and I can't even say all of the quotes and all the timings of it. But there are several moments where his little minions just echo knee at the perfect times. And it's so funny. I can't even imagine how many times they rehearsed it or if they just kind of flung it out there and were just just said, hey, whenever you guys find this funny, just go ahead and throw a knee out there. I don't know how they did that, but it, it it's so funny. And 
I love it. And I love how King Arthur interacts with him because like you were saying before, he's always so regal and so serious. He's literally talking to someone who's a knight who says knee, who's demanding they bring him a shrubbery, who's very, it it has to be very nice and have a, a nice white picket fence and some, some flowers would be cool. Like it's the most nonsensical thing ever. And King Arthur is like, oh, yes, of course, good sir, knight of knee. Oh, yes, knights who formerly said knee. Like, he's so, he's just such a straight face standing in front of the most outrageously ridiculous thing ever. So, yeah, and just the way that they say shrubbery and the fact that he goes into this town looking for it and this woman's like, no, no shrubberies, no, no. And he meets this man who's like, oh, what times are these when men can just yell knee at old ladies? And they're like, who are you? And he's like, my name is Roger. Roger the Shrubber. I make, design, and sell shrubberies. It's like, I don't know. I just, the whole sequence of the Knights of Knee with the shrubbery is, is one of my favorite things ever. I definitely quote, not even quote, but just say the word shrubbery very often in my life because I think it's so funny. Um, But yes, I love that sequence. And I do think you should go back and watch it again, just for the echoes of his little minions (laughs) saying me, that's worth it. (laughs) All right. I'll definitely do that. Um, Yeah. So after that, I think we can kind of dive into the whole, the whole Lancelot storyline here. Cause I've got, it's like you said before, it's a long, it's a long section and I've got lots to say and I'm sure you do too. So go ahead and get it started. Yeah. So the long <laughs> sections, it's so good, you know, as we keep saying, I, I was thinking as I was watching that section in particular, um, you know, John Cleese, I think he works, his style of humor works really well in this sort of Chevy Chase, John Ham type of like, he's the very sort of handsome square jawed type of you know kind of upper class you know um you know he's just used to everyone you know doing his bidding and everything going his way and everything does go his <laughs> go his way and that's kind of where the humor comes from with that because this idea of like he you know he he thinks that the prince is a princess and that's the only reason he's going to <laughs> rescue him <laughs> and he absolutely cuts this absurdly bloody swath through all of these innocent men, women, and children trying to get to the top. And then as soon as uh, the the father, you know, realizes that he's from King Arthur's court, he's like, oh, yeah, don't worry about the damage. No, 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 you're fine. Like, come come have dinner with us. <laughs> you know, it's like everything is forg- forgiven. It's like, oh, isn't that the way? But yeah, the fact that the prince is constantly trying to break out into song and the king, the king keeps preventing him from doing it. I thought you would like that. Hilarious every time. Yep. <laughs> he just wants so badly for his life to be a musical and it's just not. <laughs> hey, he gets it at the end. He gets it at the end. After his That's true. Broken. That is true. He's going to tell. And there's the, He's going the bringing... to tell. He's going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're just like, all right, let's leave. Yeah. And the bringing back, too, of the gag of, um, oh, he's dead. No, I'm not. (laughs) Yes, you are. You're almost dead. (laughs) That sort of thing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. The prince also just looks so, his makeup, he just looks so absurdly sickly. He's, like, (laughs) covered in, like, sores or, you know, warts or something like that. Um. (laughs) Yes, it's very, I love it. Yeah. The fact that Lancelot 
he has to do things in the most dramatic way. He can't just leave. He has to like swing out of the, the castle on a vine. It's part of his character. That's what he says. He literally says in the movie, it's like, it's part of my character. I must. It's like, okay. Yes, it's true. It's true. So I so I have lots of things to say about this. Um, but I I'll start with the I'll start with the most brief one, I guess, which is that my absolute number one favorite part of this movie comes in this sequence. The first time I saw this movie, I like I have never cry laughed like this in my life before or since. It was absolutely insane. We had to pause the movie. I could not breathe. I still love it to this day. I don't laugh as hard as I did back then because I've seen it a million times, but it still gets me. It is the sequence (laughs) when Lancelot is running towards the castle and they keep cutting back and forth to him running towards the castle. And every time he's starting (laughs) from the same spot he's starting from the same spot every single damn time every single time and i think they show it i I tried to count i don't remember if i actually counted but i think it's five oh no i wrote it down five times five times they cut to that and it is just i don't know why i find that so funny i don't know what that says about me and my humor and what my genre of humor is but that is one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life and I still love it to this day. I think it is absolutely fall on the floor hilarious. So, yes, I had. And then to say he that. somehow still manages to sneak up on them. And oh yes. stab the guard in the garden. Well, they're <laughs> probably watching him for like ten minutes. Well, they're probably so confused because he keeps going back to the same spot. They're like, "Will he ever get here, or will he just keep resetting?" <laughs> we don't know. Um, who's to say? Who's to say? You know. Um, Yes. And then I wanted to make, I actually almost, so there were three things that almost made the quote for the beginning of this movie or the the beginning of this podcast. Obviously I went with the one that was not from a farcical aquatic ceremony, but the other two were the, before they tossed the holy hand grenade of Antioch and they're counting to three. And then the other one was this sequence where it's no, 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 you keep him here in the room and then just keep him here. Oh, okay. I see. But if he had to leave and we were with him, no, no, no. You stay here, keep him here, and make sure he doesn't leave. <laughs> like It is such, I, I wrote down, it is a minute and 45 second sequence, which is a long time of them just going back and forth about this. And the fact that also in this conversation, the 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 guard on the right side just every once in a while throws in a little hiccup. It's like, it's like 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 it's just it's so it's so brilliant and yeah I know I keep repeating myself but I love it it's it's so funny um I don't know what it says about our friendship that I I somehow just knew that you would love that sequence and when I was talking about the Lancelot sequence I intentionally skipped over it because I felt like you would have a lot to say about it (laughs) yeah I mean it's I did notice that you skipped over it I was like did Geneva really not like that part it's Um, so it's very much um it reminded me so much of like the classic who's on first mm. joke format too you know or like um court jessel court jester you know the pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle type of thing like mm-hmm. that just really quick patter um that just like keeps you know 
people misunderstanding each other over and over and over again and it just mounts to absurdity yeah it's yeah. no it's great it's it goes great. on for so long and it goes on for so and it long. goes on just as long as it needs to if it had been any shorter the joke would not have been as funny in my opinion um okay so last thing i wanted to throw out there from this sequence from uh sir lancelot geneva i don't know if you know this uh you might but if you don't i think you're going to love this little uh, tidbit of information so from this movie there was kind of a spin-off theater show called Spamalot. And I'm yes, yes, I really want to see it after watching this movie. Yes. So I actually had the privilege of going to see Spamalot in high school. One of my friends at the time, that was like her her birthday party. She invited us to go to Spamalot, which is like the coolest birthday party ever. Incredible. So we went, we went to go see Spamalot. And Geneva, I want you to know spoilers for spam a lot if anyone hasn't seen it and wants to see it you know just skip ahead 45 seconds but geneva it's in spam a lot they have lancelot and herbert become a gay couple and it is like this whole like storyline for the rest of the show it doesn't go away it's like the rest of the show it keeps coming in and out of lancelot and uh -huh. herbert being absolutely in love and it's like it is the greatest it's the greatest thing ever so you know if and when you see spam a lot you have that to look mm -hmm. forward to because it's super well done and it's really funny now that i've said that you can kind of see how the story could go in that direction right oh absolutely. absolutely i was wondering if the movie was going to go in that direction and it didn't but um yeah i was just going to say the only part of spam a lot that i'm aware of is the the song that goes like this just the song that goes like this. I have no idea where it comes in in the show, but I've, for whatever reason, I just stumbled across a YouTube clip of that. Might have been from like the Tony's performance or something like that. And I've just watched it dozens of times. I've seen nothing else from the show, but that song is so funny. Maybe we should go see it together. That'd be fun. I would be down for that. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I was going to say we've exhausted that section, but I don't think that's possible. But uh, for the sake of I time. Mean, I don't think, I don't think we've remotely <laughs> exhausted anything in this movie. <laughs> right. Move on, I mean, we must. <laughs> maybe we should just do a live stream of us watching the movie. <laughs> of us watching oh the gosh. movie. Um, <laughs> yes. but we'll anyway. Move on to commentaries. Yes. So, okay. Here we come into my last summary section here. So, aw. But also, Geneva, this discussion is so much different from the last one. <laughs> Like this one's just like us joking around <laughs> and it's great. Um, okay. So, okay, here we go. So there was a cartoon of the group all reuniting to continue their quest. They meet a man named Tim who shows them to a cave that they can pass through in order to find the grail. But, at, but the cave is guarded by a most dangerous threat, a flying rabbit that can kill men by biting their heads off. Just look at the bones. <laughs> The gang then summons the holy hand grenade of Antioch, which they then launch at the rabbit. After the rabbit is blown to bits, the gang passes through the cave where they are then chased by a large lizard dragon. After the group outruns the monster and escapes the cave, they meet the same man with white eyes from before. He is the keeper of the bridge that they must pass. In order to be given access to the bridge, each person must answer three questions ere the other side he see. Some people answer the questions incorrectly and are therefore thrown into the canyon, including the wide-eyed man himself. At the end of it all, only King Arthur, Lancelot, and Sir Bedivere pass through. 
In the process of this, Arthur and Bedivere lose track of Lancelot, who has been arrested by the police and is being patted down. Arthur and Bedivere continue on for quite a long time (laughs) until they come upon a castle that turns out to be inhabited by the same Frenchman from earlier in the movie. Unable to breach their walls yet again, King Arthur then summons an army of hundreds to come to his aid. All of the warriors arrive, but as they charge the castle, the police show up and shut everything down. They arrest Arthur and Bedivere for the murder of the narrator and force the camera person to stop rolling. And that brings us to the end of the movie. <laughs> oh, man. Jump in, I Geneva. I want to hear your thoughts. I won't say that Monty Python and the Holy Grail invented the meta humor, but it, it kind of invented the meta humor. What no. do you mean by that? Um, well, you... you didn't mention in your summary that they are only able to escape the monster because the animator has a heart attack, which is just, oh. it's straight out of Bugs Bunny, you know, duck amok. It's, it's so good. <laughs> Important point. I can't believe I missed that. Yes. Yes. I'm glad that I was able to supply that. Yeah. Um, you say something else. I'm trying to think of like, I feel like I had another point now. I can't remember what it was. Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I have a million things I could say about Tim, uh, I think. Oh my goodness! I feel like. Oh, sorry. Just one of my favorite gags in a movie is when you have this big intimidating person, and then they have this really like innocuous name. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why. It just always makes me laugh. There are some who call me Tim. <laughs> <laughs> it's the question mark. <laughs> yeah, I notice how in my summary I said like man question mark because I don't know what he is. He's got like ram ears or something. I'm like, I don't know what's going on or ram's horns. I don't know. But yeah, I I feel like with Tim, he's kind of grown on me over time. Like when I watched this movie the first time, I didn't really find him all that funny. And now I think it's so funny how excessively he's just blowing things up. Like so many things. And then he, he picks up this stick that like shoots a rocket out, like out of it. It's like it's like a flamethrower stick that shoots rockets. Like he's just the fact that he is just burning and exploding absolutely everything around him for literally no reason is just it's it's so uh, it's just great. I, I think it's fantastic and it's so excessive. And there's so many things in this movie where if they hadn't have been as excessive as they were, it, they wouldn't have been as funny. It's like they take every joke almost, almost too far, but it's that brilliant place where they stop just before it comes too much. And it's just really smart comedy. So I, I just think Tim is super funny. His name, his obsession with blowing things up, the fact that he spits when he talks, the fact that he rolls his R's whenever he says Grail, <laughs> like, and, and the way he talks about the bunny is so scared. He's like, he's so scared. It's like, oh, he's got fangs and he, look at the bones. <laughs> it's just, it's so great. I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Uh, I feel like we have to, uh, well, first of all, so when Tim is telling them about, um, like the, the rabbit and everything, and then they finally see it and then (laughs) just love how King Arthur goes, you silly sot. (laughs) That's just like such a, such a British thing to say. I feel like, 
I love it. Um, I love when oh. the knight, the, he's like, you know, he sends the knight to go into the cave. And of course, he gets torn apart by the rabbit. And Tim's just like, well, I did try to warn you. <laughs> yes. And also, before before we jump over it, because it's something super brief, but it's also something that I quote regularly. And I've had friends send this to me in like GIF form and meme form. When the when the group all reunites and they continue on the journey together and it's like a cartoon of them all walking through, it's like, oh, they wandered for a year until blah, blah, blah. And every time it's like, so they met up and they stopped and there was much rejoicing. And then it just goes, yay, <laughs> like a super lackluster, unenthusiastic yay. And they do it twice. They do it that first time. Then the second time there was much rejoicing. Yay. <laughs> Isn't that the part where I they just, had to uh, eat uh, Robin's minstrels in order to survive? Yes. And I feel like the yes, yang is a bit is. louder that time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think it is slightly louder yeah. that time, which is a great subtle little little joke that they add. Um, but yes, so I... And then, of course, we have to talk about Thy Holy Hand Grenade of, of Antioch, course. which... I'm not going to quote the entire scene here, but I almost don't even know how to talk about this, this gag without quoting the whole thing, because it's just so, okay, I guess I'll walk through it bit by bit, but the, like when they first summon the, the, um, the hand grenade, the fact that it takes them way too long to get down there with the grenade is so funny. It's like, and it it's this super long process of taking it out of the box and walking down the hill very slow it's like it's so long and it's it's fantastic and then when he finally gets there them introducing the grenade i almost want to look up the quote but it's so long but just reading the passage of like and it's something about like orang- orangutans and all of these different things. And I don't know. And then toss it towards thy foe and then don't toss it until you get to three. And then not not two, but it must be three. Not four, it must be three. Not two, five. But three is the number of being the three that you shall count. It's just, it's so fantastic. And then they continue the gag because when Arthur goes to throw it, <laughs> He goes one, three, five, and then and then someone I forget who it is goes three. He's like yes, three. Then he <laughs> throws it. It's just it's well, it, it's so it's so good. And it's somehow they it somehow emerges turns into this gag where King Arthur is unable to say the word three or like remember the word three. And so when they encounter the the guy who's asking the three, three questions, he's like ah yes, the five questions, three questions. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, it makes no sense. It's so good. Yeah, and I also have to have to note how because I think I forgot to say this before, but there is this running gag in the movie that I also quote a lot, and I've had people quote to me the "get on with it," like "get on with it." Um, I just love how that's thrown in uh, at random places mm-hmm. throughout the story. Um, which actually come to think of it, you know, talking again about the all the absurd meta humor in this movie 
in Galahad's encounter with the women in the castle when she stops the whole scene to be like, you know, when the boys were writing this scene, I wasn't so sh- <laughs> we so sure about it, but now I we think it's great. And then all of what the characters from before and after are like, get on with it. Yes, it was, it, it's a great. It's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> I love how in this movie they call out the absurdity. There's so many times when it's like, you've just got two coconuts and you're banging them together. <laughs> like, there's so many different moments where they're like, yes, we know that this is ridiculous. And I love that the characters in it are sometimes aware of that. But not always, you know? It's it's only specific moments when they, when they reveal that. Um, and... Yeah, I also love how when they show uh, the police officers here, like their progress in the in kind of the case that they're studying of who killed the narrator. When we cut back to them in this sequence, you see them doing research by the shrubbery from before where the Knights of Knee or who formerly were called Knee. It's like you can see them progressing and catching up to them, which Tracing I think is steps, super. Yeah, Somehow. exactly. Yeah. Um so yeah, the whole holy hand holy hand grenade of Antioch is just it's just killer comedy. Um and then obviously we have the sequence within the cave where the one priest guy is reading the ancient inscription and he's like and then uh <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and, and they're like well, if he was dying, he wouldn't write the word, uh, he's like, well, I'm just reading what it says. Like, Maybe it was transcribed. There's no way it was transcribed. It just says, uh, there's that one line where someone's like, maybe he's referring to castle. Ugh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it's just every single second of this movie, they do not waste any time. It's like this movie is. I think an hour and 32 minutes, but they fit more comedy in this movie than most other comedies I've seen, even if they're like two, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so masterful and it's, it's really impressive. I think it's kind of a miracle that they did this, but that's why they're one of the most famous comedy groups of all time. And one of the best comedy groups of all time, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I mean, Geneva, do you want, we can discuss the part where, uh, at the bridge, if you want, where he asked them the three questions. Uh, for me, for me, that joke doesn't, doesn't land as much as others do. I mean, obviously I love it, but I think it's something for me that hasn't, most of this movie, I still find it funny all these years later, but this sequence, it's kind of like, I know the joke of this. It's not as funny to me anymore. I still think it's funny, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit me as hard as as the other jokes, but I'm not sure about you. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, it wasn't my one of my top sequences in the movie, but I thought it was funny enough. I think it's just the capriciousness with which he asked the questions. Like he just seems to alternate, <laughs> like asking <laughs> incredibly easy questions and incredibly difficult questions, and they're just none of them are prepared. Um, Geneva, do you do you know what the capital of Assyria is? <laughs> is this was Assyria ever even a place? <laughs> I don't even know. Kingdom of Assyria back in like ancient, you know, ancient civilizations. Um I could not tell they you. Probably what didn't have, was. They probably didn't have capitals yeah. back then. <laughs> Wherever the king lived, I guess, was probably the capital, but I don't know what that would have been. Yeah. And and they also I love how they bring the swallows back into mm-hmm. this. What is the airspeed velocity of an African of a swallow? 
What do you mean? An African swallow or a European swallow? I don't know that. <laughs> I just love all the reoccurring gags yeah. in this movie. I love when Galahad gets the incredibly easy question about the color and he just, blue, no, wait. It's like he gave the wrong <laughs> yep. answer. You didn't give the right answer to what's your favorite color. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then following this sequence, something that I just, it's, it's so... It's so funny to me. I know some people find it boring and they skip it. But this incredibly long scene of Arthur and Bedivere traveling on their quest from the bridge until they stumble upon the castle where the Frenchmen are. I didn't time it, but it is such a long sequence of them walking through swamps, walking on fields, finding a boat, traveling in the boat over water, then walking in swamps again. It is such a long sequence that is so unnecessary, <laughs> but it it's just so funny. And they've got the whole like angelic choir music mm -hmm. going while they're on this journey, making it seem like they're leading up to something like, oh, maybe they're actually going to find the grail when they reach the end of this. The music is building and then, nope, it's just the Frenchman. And then that doesn't even amount to anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the cyclical nature of it, you know, Bedivere is the first one he discovers and the last one with him, which uh, I was refreshing my memory on, on Bedivere. And he was in the Arthurian legends. He's kind of the first knight that appeared in the Arthurian legends. So kind of, in a sense, Arthur's oldest friend or the, you know, the, the first knight of the, the round table. So it's a He's the Sancho Panza to Don Quixote. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. sorry. Took a minute to process that. <laughs> yeah. I had to read that in college as a, oh, gotcha. as a Spanish Spanish major. It's a very, very difficult book to read and it's very long. Um, so anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> I think, first of all, I think it's hilarious how King Arthur continues to battle large stone castles with swords yes uh it's not <laughs> yeah. gonna work buddy sorry yeah. uh it's never gonna work um <laughs> i don't know why you expect it to but all right charge um, the castle like that's gonna do anything yeah exactly but then of course as i said before he summons his army right and uh we don't know where these people come from but <laughs> there's definitely hundreds of them if not thousands i don't know but he summons an army and uh he gets them all to charge on the castle and then one of the best endings to any comedy movie i've seen the police officers <laughs> catch up with them and, and they're just like wait what what's going on like they, they king arthur just looks so confused in that moment <laughs> when the police officers show up because the fact of the matter is i don't think we actually know if one of them killed the narrator in the beginning because we never see the person that does it it's just some random no, guy on a horse who's wearing a helmet and armor yeah yeah i don't know if we get a good look at the the colors or the the emblem on the the knight yeah so i totally believe this this performance that that he's giving of just like wait what what is First of all, who are you? Why are you dressed like that? What is this thing that you're driving that has lights on top of it? What is going on? Like, Well, you, you know? can sort of like, there's a weird way in which it would make sense that all of these people are just cosplaying like as medieval True. figures. And, 
you know, one of them went rogue and murdered someone, but the rest of them are just on this wacky adventure, and then they all just get arrested at the end. Honestly, of the day. I love that. I think that's awesome. I never thought about that, but that's super cool. That's super inventive. I love that. Yeah, new conspiracy theory, like the Pixar characters all being in the same universe. Um, right. Monty Python yeah. takes place in the, is a contemporary <laughs> set story about people dressing up as medieval characters. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that brings us to the uh, the conclusion of the movie. So just real quick, I will just share that uh, this movie uh, with, I, I don't think it's much of a shocker, but uh, it is very, it, it is, well, it has been and it continues to be very highly revered by critics uh, around the world. So on Metacritic, it has a 91 out of 100. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it is 98%. Uh, I think that means certified fresh. I'm not really a Rotten Tomatoes person. But <laughs> it's 98% certified fresh. And um, yeah, I couldn't really find many reviews because I wanted to find some that were from when the movie first came out. But that proved to be a little bit of a struggle. Um, so yeah, just from the reviews that I did read that ha- that were released on like the 30th anniversary and 40th anniversary and just modern reviews, it is still very highly praised by um, critics and regular movie going people alike. So we did talk a little bit about the legacy of Monty Python and the Holy Grail a little bit at the beginning. So I just want to, I wanted to kind of jump in and just talk about uh, what is the legacy for the movie for us which is a section that we are going to be including in our episodes every week of what part of the movie really did it for us. So obviously there will be certain occurrences where for one person there was something that did it and then for the other person there isn't because they didn't like it as much. So um, so yeah, but I'll start with myself since I'm the one who chose the movie. So the part of this movie that really... <laughs> did it for me and just cemented this movie in my mind and is the reason why I chose it is uh, I remember when I watched this movie, obviously I was, like I said before, I was at a sleepover and I loved it. But the part that really solidified it in my mind and heart was, like I said before, the sequence where Lancelot is running towards, (laughs) towards the castle and they reset it five times. I don't need to go into all of this again, but that is the hardest I've ever laughed in my entire life. And I think that's just a really special thing. Um, Life is really hard and there's a lot of things that we have to deal with in life. And and a lot of times, uh, especially me, I can take things a little bit too seriously. Um, So it's always nice to find things or people that make me laugh. And this is something in particular that consistently makes me laugh very, very, very hard. So I think this whole movie is very special to me, but because of that particular scene, that is the movie that really um, is what keeps me coming back to this and uh, what first really uh, solidified this movie for me in my mind and heart as one of the greats. So yeah, that's what did it for me. Uh, Geneva, obviously this is kind of a little bit newer or more fresh for you because you hadn't seen it in a long time. So I'm curious was there a moment in this movie that did it for you? See, this is the difficulty in trying to single out one <laughs> moment that did it for you in a movie that's just, 
you know, just so uniformly strong throughout, because I'm really, really struggling to think of one particular moment. I mean, it was very early on in the movie where I was just like, oh, this is so funny. And it's, it's also so smartly written, you know, it's, the performances are excellent, but the writing and the thought behind the writing, while simultaneously being like the stupidest, most absurd thing you've ever seen in your life is just so, you know, it takes really, really um, brilliant, brilliant people to come up with that. But I, I can't really pinpoint it to one particular moment. Um, just the the few sequences at the beginning before he even meets the knights when he's interacting with the peasants, just it's the sort of pointed commentary mixed with humor of that just really, really appealed to me. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm fully in on this movie. Jima, I know I said this before, but it seriously makes me so happy that you love this movie because <laughs> I was nervous. I, I, I wasn't <laughs> sure. I never know. I never know with you. So um, I, I, I'm genuinely very excited that you enjoyed this. So yes, yes, um, I, I am too. I'm so glad that I, you pushed me to, you know, you pushed us to do this movie so that I had the chance to rewatch it. Cause I'm definitely going to be rewatching it a lot in the future. Ah, oh, yay. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, okay. So Geneva, what is coming up for next week? Next week, we are going to be, uh, diving back to the 1960s with The Apartment, uh, directed by Billy Wilder. Um, yes, I'm very, very excited to rewatch this movie. It's been a few years, um, but this is, Billy Wilder's one of my favorite directors. And yeah, this is a, I just think an, an excellent movie, but excited to hear your thoughts. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to provide them. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, that's it for us this week, you guys. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're so excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Bye.